Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. This is our New Year's 2018 episode, and I did not do a retrospective podcast or video this year. I was going to, but then um, the opportunity with uh, Jessica Shaw presented itself as an interview and with Leah Farrow, uh, also an interview which I posted uh, this last Thursday, who was an ex-Sea Org member who worked on the Free Winds. Um, so both of those sort of took precedent over the idea of gabbing on and on about all the things that happened over the last 365 days. Um, and I was, I was happy with the retrospective that I did last year, but I thought this year, hmm, maybe I'll just, uh, you know, answer some questions that might be appropriate to, you know, some talking about that. Uh, it was quite a wild year <laughs> in a number of ways, and, um, uh, but a good year. Uh, in a number of ways, and in, in a lot of ways. Uh, personally, for me, uh, professionally, I suppose, uh, for this channel, things have just continued to grow and expand, and and the subject matter of things I've covered on my channel has has grown, and and I didn't get uh, anywhere near the number of things done this year that I sort of promised, and I'm not going to keep making promises. I'm just going to get my work done. But the 2018 does look like it's going to be quite a a potentially great year for for me and for this channel and I and I'm I'm really glad you guys are along for the ride and that you have stuck in here I wanted to comment on the fact that you guys uh, your my the community that has been created over the last few years on my channel through the in the comments section and people who support this channel and and are frequently coming around here I you know I don't know that I've ever really commented on what a great bunch of people you guys really are uh, I can have, you know, guests come on here and say some controversial things or things that not everybody agrees with, and I get my panties in a twist about that as much as anybody else does, because I'm just as human, and sometimes my, you know, comments, you know, about that when I get some criticism, but, but you guys, for the most part, just roll with it, and I really, really wanted to actually thank you guys, all of you. Um, my, my Patreon supporters, of course, are the, you know, the elite, <laughs> the best of the best, so to speak. But all of you guys are amazing. Uh, you really are. And I, and I wanted to acknowledge all of you who keep coming around on this channel because I really appreciate you. I appreciate all your wonderful comments. I, it feels a little wrong for me to answer every single one of them because there's just so many. Um, but I try to thank you when you give, you know, great comments or feedback on, on what I'm doing, even if it's critical. Uh, I'm okay with that if it's constructive criticism, right? And often it is and it's good. There's a new community tab on YouTube, uh, which is, uh, I guess, YouTube's version of trying to become more socially media savvy and uh, more, you know, feedbacky or, or able to engage with the audience even more than just through the comment section. I posted a couple, uh, you know, silly uh, things up on, in the community tab, which you might, if you're subscribed to my channel, you might have gotten notices of. I'm kind of curious uh, what you, you know, how that, how that works for you guys. And, um, and I have a little survey for this new year. I, uh, I just, you know, periodically, every, every few months or something, or every once a year, I, I just kind of get it in my, you know, gumption that I need to uh, shave. And so I did so and, and got, a, got a haircut, but um, I'm gonna, I plan on growing my goatee back. 
but I thought I would survey you guys now that we have a community tab and an ability to get feedback from you guys. I'll throw this up on the community tab and the question is do you like this look or do you want me to go back to my previous look or maybe some suggested looks either Neil Patrick Harris or Tony Stark or Jude Friedlander <laughs> or ZZ Top. <laughs> what do you think would be best for uh, my look for 2018? Just curious what you guys think, and maybe if enough of you respond uh, it, with a certain answer, then maybe I'll, I'll go in that direction. All right, let's get to your uh, answers and questions now. Keep on creeping. You've said this channel is about your recovery process and changes since leaving Scientology. What would you say was your best or biggest change in 2017? Hmm, big question. I was looking back over my calendar and all the things that happened in this last year and there were so many great interviews and people I had on board here and, and work that I did. Uh, personally, I received some counseling this year actually, some, uh, and, and that was, uh, you know, I saw a psychologist and that was kind of interesting. In fact, I saw a couple. Uh, of them. And uh, uh, I, I'm not going to get into all the details of what I covered or anything because that's really just my business, but it was good. Uh, it was it was it was nice to get a different perspective and to be able to talk to somebody else about some of what had happened to me, other than talking to you guys, of course. And um, and it you know I I only went for a short while, but it was helpful. Uh, so I think that was a pretty big change this year because it got me thinking. As uh, anyone who's followed me for a while now knows, it got me thinking about my future and my future uh, career options and uh, and where I want to go and what I want to do and it, and it, that sort of reinforced the idea that maybe I should be you know pursuing work in a direction of helping others either one-on-one -on -one or you know the big wide world through through research uh, and made it more clear how I might go about doing that and I've talked about that a little bit recently uh, maybe pursuing a degree through social psychology or something else. It's not quite clear yet, but I'm pretty sure that that sort of unfocused picture is going to become more in focus through 2018. And I've got some projects lined up right now that are uh, some collaborations and work that uh, for this channel that I think you guys are going to like a lot and that is going to move that, you know, move the ball down the road in that direction. So, um, I'm not going into 2018 completely, oh boy, I don't know what's going to happen this year. You know, I, I, I kind of have some pretty good ideas and uh, wrap some things up that have been going on for far too long that I've been promising you guys. That's all uh, going to happen this year uh, because it's already happening, right? It's already uh, my Basics of Scientology video series is going to carry on and it's going to get completed this year. So, um, and that's going to wrap up a whole bunch of stuff that I've been talking about for a very long time. As far as getting back to the changes from this last year, I also got engaged. And uh, that's a huge deal <laughs> for me uh, and changes positive, you know, uh, changes in my life. Um, you know, I've, I've moved into a new place and, uh, uh, you know, I have this relationship going and uh, we're set to get married in May of uh, this next year and that planning is moving forward. So uh, so things have, you know, 2017 was a year of a lot of upheaval politically and I know you guys hate me talking about that stuff so I'm not going to get into it other than just to say that there was a lot of 
stuff that happened this year. Um, but, but for me personally, and in, and in my life and how things have, have touched my existence, it was a year of, of, of nothing but really good, a lot of good news, really, you know. And, uh, and that's, you know, I talked last year in my retrospective podcast about the idea of perspective, and how important perspective is. And I was looking back at that and looking back at some of what happened in 2016 and, you know, 2000, and then how we talked about it at the end of uh, 2016, rolling into the new year. And now I'm looking at what happened last year and rolling into this next year. And I'm trying to keep, um, I, I think perspective has been a very key uh, word for me this last year because I've, I've gone in and out of being able to look at things on a very short term and freak out and oh my god ah you know like we all have been um to one degree or another but i've also been able to kind of put a lot of the last four years into a different perspective and i've been able to look at some of my responsibilities as a former scientologist for some of what happened which is not at all to say that some of the um, you know, victimization that occurred was not victimization. It most definitely was. I mean, abuse is abuse, regardless of how I, how I feel about it. Um, you know, so I'm not changing my tune as far as any of that goes. I'm just saying that from a matter of perspective, now that more time has passed, I've learned a lot more, I'm able to look more calmly at what happened to me. I've also been able to, though, gain a better perspective on how abusive a lot of the environment of Scientology was to me, and especially the Sea Organization. Um, because there were so many things that were normalized that seemed like this is just how the world works, and this is how, this is my place in it, and this is how things are supposed to go. And you get out of that, and you spend enough time away from it, and you, you know, I've acclimated to the real world another year's worth, as well as getting some, some counseling. And I can see now much more clearly how abnormal a lot of the Sea Org life is and how really screwed up it is, right? So, um, so it's, a, it's a two edged thing. It's not like, you know, it's not black and white, I guess is what I'm saying, is my perspective has, has even included, come to include more shades of gray between my own responsibility and my own actions and my own contributions to Scientology as a member, uh, but also seeing from a different perspective how much more abusive than maybe I had been thinking some of those things were, right? And, um, and that's just kind of personal stuff. I mean, I know I'm not really totally making a lot of sense here, but, um, but just, you know, both things have have uh, have changed over this last year as far as my my viewpoint of them and uh, and I think that those are good things right I, I think that uh, I have made positive steps forward uh, in my own personal recovery from that and I think this was a good year for that so uh, so I guess that's how probably the best way I can answer that question right now Juni Hiltunen in authoritarian slash hierarchical organizations, people below have a tendency to say only things they think people above want to hear. This is also known as the snafu principle. It leads to situations where the organization is rapidly disintegrating while its leaders think everything is just hunky-dory. Does Scientology's leadership, 
i.e. David Miscavige, realize just how dysfunctional the church has become under his leadership? You know, this is a really good point. This is a good question, um, because it's not something I'd particularly given a lot of thought to. Um, and yet it has, there's a, there's a credibility to your question. In other words, yeah, it's possible that David Miscavige is not aware of how bad things have gotten at the lower levels of Scientology. He goes around pretty routinely um, to the various, you know, churches, the, the major churches. He goes to the Flag Service Org in Clearwater a lot. He goes to St. Hill in England once a year and checks things out there. He's been traveling quite a bit, opening up ideal organizations here and there. I think there were four or five in the last year or something, uh, including the one in Ireland. And he, um, you know, he goes down to L.A., I suppose, randomly and, and checks out things there. So he gets some hands-on, you know, eyes-on-the-ground the sort of view of things. But of course, when they have any advance notice that he's coming, they, you know, clean for days and, and do all this prep work and try to make everything the best possible way it could be presented. And, um, and, and we know that he sneaks around and looks in drawers and stuff in the middle of the night and, and isn't falling for all of what's presented to him because uh, he likes to call people out, you know. So he'll go, um, you know, the way, the way this works is he'll show up in Los Angeles, let's say, and he'll, uh, and it'll be like three in the morning and, and like everybody's in bed, it, you know, finally by three in the morning, everybody's in bed, right? Four in the morning. And he'll go sneak into... He'll go into, let's say, the uh, the Asho building, the, the, the St. Hill organization, and he'll uh, go down into the executive office and he'll open, rifle through drawers, and he'll find something that shouldn't be there, whatever it is, right? Maybe it's some personal thing or maybe it's some dispatch or, or knowledge report or, or something that has information in it that he's going to, aha, I'm going to bust this guy, right? And then the next, and the, and there's, and then the next day, right? Nobody really knows that he's been there. Uh, I mean, maybe some security people, but that's about it, right? Is he's not there with his full entourage at four in the morning. So then the next day, he'll come around and he'll have his full entourage and he'll have everybody and everybody's on post and working and yes sir, yes sir, you know when he shows up, and then he'll walk into that executive office and look around. You know, and hmm, something's not quite right here. What's that? And he'll go over to the desk and open the drawer and pull out the report. And everybody's like, oh my God, how could he have known, right? And he'll be like, what's this, right? And, you know, now this person is on all kinds of trouble or whatever. Uh, because, you know, David Miscavige ferreted out the truth, right? Because he was so OT and knew, you know, that that report was there, right? Nobody really thinks, oh, he saw it the night before, right? So he, he does inspections, I know, from, uh, from, from that perspective, from the perspective of trying to impress people and show off and, and, and make people think he's a lot smarter and more aware than he really is. But I don't know that he really pays a whole lot of attention to what's really going on statistically, uh, you know, with, uh, with how people are and how many people are around and stuff like that. I think he pays some attention, but I don't know, because here's the other thing that happens is a lot of very carefully crafted communications are sent to David Miscavige in response to his queries or his curiosities about what's going on. Or if a new organization opens up, let's say, like the one in Ireland, for example, let's say, right now he's getting daily 
reports with photos and write-ups and success stories from parishioners, you know, people doing services. And this is coming up to him every single day, right, from Ireland, uh, from, from the Irish, you know, organization, uh, showing what's going on there. And they are absolutely presenting as much good news to him as they can and keeping all the bad news off his plate as much as they can, right? Um, and that is their job down there. I mean, the, the people who report to him are, are being very careful about this. Now, I did this work so when I was in Twin Cities, so I know how it goes. And it definitely is, let's twist the truth and let's twist reality as much as we possibly can to make this look as good as it possibly can so that, you know, Miscavige is hearing nothing but wonderful news about how successful his ideal org program is. So there's a lot of that, you know, um, well, I guess sycophants, um, uh, or, you know, if you want to compare it to the emperor's new clothes and everybody telling the emperor how great his clothes are when he's, you know, butt naked. So that does go on, and it goes on from all quarters of Scientology. Um, and that can definitely give Miscavige a bit of a twisted view about how successful things are when, in fact, they're not successful at all. So... You know, uh, I, do I think David Miscavige is so egotistical and so uh, personally into his self-aggrandizement that he doesn't see through a lot of that? Not really. I think he gets it. I think he sees what's, I think he knows what's actually going on. And I think he knows enough about what goes on in the media to know that Scientology is a toxic brand, uh, at least at this time. And... Um, uh, you know, with Leah's show and going clear and all that, I think he's up on on what's going on with that stuff. So, you know, is he as is he as crystal clear about it as you know everyone on the ground? You know, at the ground level of Scientology, probably not. But is he totally in a fog? Probably not. Brandy Holmes. I'm finding it hard to maintain a consistent amount of sympathy and understanding for some of the stories I hear in the ex-Scientology world. Listening to you and others, such as Leah Remini, Mike Rinder, Jason Begay, Mark Headley, to name a few, I've noticed your stories have the same type of theme. That is, you woke up to what the church was doing and felt it inconsistent with your morals, so you left. Not to oversimplify it, but in a nutshell. The stories of those like Marty Rathman and Skip Young seem to have a different tone, one that says they were perfectly fine with everything that was going on until the church turned on them. It seems that people who leave fall into three categories. One, people who felt they had to leave because what the church was doing to others, going against their own moral code, such as Leah, Mike, and yourself. Two, people who left because the church abused them personally, such as Jason and Mark. Three, People who participated in the abuse and were perfectly fine with it until the church turned on them, such as Marty and Skip. Do you notice this too? What are your thoughts about it? Thanks, Brandy. This is a sharp question. And um, I agree with your three categories, except I would instead actually say that those are characteristics of all of us who leave. I don't think it's a black and white issue. I don't think that it's a matter of uh, I 
don't have anything in category number three, for example. In other words, I did abuse people in Scientology, and I did think that it was okay, and I did think that what was going on around me was acceptable behavior, because I believed that what we were doing was the greatest good for the greatest number. And you can justify anything, anything, if you truly believe that what you're partaking in or what you're involved in is ultimately, you know, serving out the ends of the greatest good. Right? In other words, the end justifies the means. Uh, this is very, very easy to rationalize, and we all do it. And if any of you out there think you don't, I would ask you to take a look again, because I'm, I'm pretty sure you do. <laughs> uh, it's kind of an you know, unfortunate uh, trait of ours that we do that. We get so worked up about what we're involved in and so sure that what, it's, that what it we're doing is so good and so right and so pure that we are blind to the outnesses, the problems, the, the situations that exist. And, um, and I certainly fell into that situation when I was in Scientology. I also had moral problems with what was going on too, which is really weird, but it's true because human beings can have two contrary ideas, you know, in their head at the same time. And that is what I and uh, every other Scientologist experienced. So the driving force that generally gets people out of Scientology when they're in it, in that kind of a condition, is that something happens to them personally that they find unacceptable. That is a catalyst to wake them up to what's going on around them that is also, what else is going on that's also unacceptable. It's, it's a way of, of creating a chink in the armor or a, 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 a crack in the, in the wall that you can now see, you know, that there's something else wrong. And then, oh, wait a minute, now I can see two things that are wrong. But what about the, oh yeah, that's wrong too. And oh, so is that. And maybe that's not so bad, but that sure is. And you start it starts becoming okay to you to question what's going on or to see that there are problems, whereas before you would not see those problems. You would not look at those situations. Um, so I think all of us experienced all three of what you're talking about as far as those, those groupings. I think we all fit into all of those. Um, now, what you see, I think, in... Uh, reflected in the stories and the testimonials of people like me, Leah, Mike, um, you know, Mark Rathbun, right, uh, is you see how we've come to realize what we were involved in was wrong and bad, and our willingness to accept the um, responsibility for what we were involved in and how we contributed to it. And not everyone who comes out of Scientology is so quick to do that, right? Not everybody can rapidly see, oh, I was abusive too. Oh, I did stuff that was really not okay. Oh my God, right? This is a little bit of what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about some of the things I've realized over this last year about my own responsibility for what I was involved in in Scientology, is that if I don't accept that, you know, if I, I, sure, I can talk about how I was abused, how I was wronged, how I had bad things happen to me, and I did. All of those things are very true. But if I don't also look at and acknowledge that I was abusive to others, and if I don't, you know, accept that and fess up to it and go, yeah, that was part of the experience too, then, you know, am I really being 
morally and intellectually honest about the whole experience. That has to be part of the conversation. And it can be um, misrepresented, it can be mis, you know, misproportioned, right? Like, I was nothing but abusive in Scientology. Well, that's not true, right? And Scientology was nothing but abusive toward me. Well, that's not true either, right? There's proportions to this. And I think what you see with, um, especially with somebody like, like I mean, Rathbun's kind of gone back. So, he, I don't know what his situation is, but he, he just, he's useless now, right? And, um, and I'm not, you know, I don't know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deride Skip Young or what happened to him or his experiences because I haven't walked in his shoes. I haven't walked in any of those folks' shoes, right? So it's, it's difficult for me to make value judgments about other exes um, based on what happened to them or what they did or why they left or something. Um, you know, it's that they left. That's a good thing. What they do afterwards will hopefully continue to be a good thing if they educate themselves and go through a recovery process and come to, you know, see, you know, the good and bad of what, what, what happened and are willing to talk about that or acknowledge it, right? Um, it's not, and I, and I don't mean that like I'm going to, uh, I think they should be judged if they don't speak out or something. I just mean that it's a process. The recovery process is a process. We all have to go through it, some faster than others, some slower than others, and some more privately than others. You know, Skip Young, for example, may very well have feel all the ways I feel or Leah or Mike feel about his experience and some of what he was involved in, but he just hasn't talked about it. You know, so I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and judge him. Um, Mark Rathman has publicly gone back, you know, into uh, deriding and insulting and degrading Scientology critics and, uh, and Scientology criticism as a whole, right? So screw that guy, right? I don't care what Mark Rathman has to say. Uh, he, you know, and, and, for, and based on the fact that he's done that, we can reevaluate a lot of what he said over the last many years that he, when he came out of Scientology. Um, but I don't know. I think he meant what he said then, and I think he means what he says now, and people change, right? So I don't, you know, so I don't know that, I, that everything he said over all those years was, was dishonest or was a trick or was some operation or something, you know? I think he just came out, something happened, and he decided that he needed to change his tune. And, uh, and so at this point, I have no, you know, no respect for the man, but he, he's just following his own path, right? Um, and I think we all do that. So, so grouping people into different reasons why they left might not necessarily be as accurate as, um, as it looks maybe on the surface, right? Um, and, and I think each person deserves the, to, ha to have the time and the forum to tell their own story the way they want to and be understood on their terms and um, and then you know and then we can go on from there. The fact that they got out at all, two thumbs up as far as I'm concerned, and that's that's all I really need to know about them uh, from from my perspective. David, hi Chris. I listened to your Ross and Carrie interview and really enjoyed it. I found the misreading of Zenu slash Zemu interesting and was wondering if you knew of any Hubbard spelling errors that led to misunderstandings slash confusion. 
Also, are there any public videos of him saying Zimu? Hey, uh, yeah, Hubbard and his pronunciations and, and misspellings and whatnot. This is a really controversial thing, by the way, with some people, this whole Zenu Zimu thing. Uh, personally, I think it's minutia. I think it's a little tiny thing that's kind of cute. Uh, Hubbard definitely said it. Uh, he definitely wrote it. There is zero question about it. And I really don't know why there's any controversy, though. Um, as far as where you can hear him say it, I think there's a lecture online called Assists. And in that lecture, it's a class eight lecture, so it's a high-level lecture Hubbard gave, uh, he says Zimu. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's, that's in there. So you can check that out. Uh, and in fact, I think he even spells it, X-E-M-U, right? Um, as far as other misspellings, I couldn't think of any others particularly, but there are mispronunciations Hubbard had that were kind of funny. Uh, even when I was in, I was like, what? He, um, he calls, uh, uh, he says, uh, galaxy rather than galaxy, right? Or the galaxy. You're like, what? Uh, I remember hearing that thinking, what, what is he saying? I, I, it was so weird to me. Or rubbit. He doesn't call them robots. He calls them rubbits. <laughs> and it took me a few times hearing him say that to go, wait, wait what, what, what was that? Uh, you know, when you're listening to Hubbard's lectures, there's transcripts. So you can hear, you know, you can read what he's saying. Uh, but I was like, rubbit? What, what is rubbit? Right? That was, that was kind of humorous. Um, I'm sure there are others I couldn't think of, but those are the first two that, that came to mind. The CC. I was raised in the Mormon church and left in my early 20s and have been a skeptic for the last 10 plus years. Comparisons between the LDS church and Scientology seem to be commonplace, despite the fact that reality is different, at least as I see it. There are certainly bullet point similarities of the foundational history of both. However, I think that Mormons are much more family-oriented, very few are excommunicated, family members are still allowed contact, and the church has non-member community services, such as food, rent, bill assistance, and they are behind Ancestry.com. Although members are encouraged to make donations, not doing so will not result in financial investigations or severe pressure. They encourage community service and most congregations have Boy Scout troops and young women groups where anyone can join. That opinion could be seen as my own bias, though. Scientology, on the other hand, well, you know, it's all about the almighty dollar and the willingness to ignore or outright destroy anyone who gets in the way. So why are comparisons of the two so common? Is it simply long-held stigmas maintained over time? I understand your knowledge about Mormons may be limited, but is there something I'm missing here? The comparison I use is the Nazis and the Boy Scouts. Sure, they both like to wear brown shirts, but by any really meaningful standard, one group is clearly more selfish, evil, and detrimental to society than the other. Love your channel and keep up the good work. All right, CC, uh, big question. I have done numerous interviews with Jonathan Streeter, who is an ex-Mormon, that I would encourage you to watch if you haven't, because I think I've made myself pretty clear in those videos about why, and, and in the, the banter and talk between Jonathan and I, about the comparisons between Scientology and Mormonism. And they are, there are more than a couple of points of valid comparison. And I do think that bias is showing through in your question because you are whitewashing uh, some of what the Mormon church is about and what it's done in its history and in the present. Um, even to the point where in your own question you talk about how there are Boy Scout troops and girl groups where anyone can join, which is just not true, right? The Boy Scouts uh, historically have not been open to uh, members of the LGBTQ community, for example. Uh, so it's not true that the Boy Scouts are just wide open to anybody, 
right? Uh, or at least historically that they have been. Um, so, you know, so it's not that the things you said about the Mormon church are all false or are not, you know, that there is no community support, that they're not there for their neighbors, that there isn't a sense of, of companionship and, and uh, camaraderie, I guess I sh I, is really the word I was looking for there, uh, between Mormons, right? Those are all good things. I got nothing against any of that. Um, but when you, you know, the, the latest episode I did with Jonathan Streeter just a few weeks ago talked about how Mormon bishops were calling in children and asking them in detail about their sexual activities uh, as to whether they've, you know, maintained the laws of chastity or not. And if they haven't, they get very down and dirty sometimes uh, quizzing and interrogating these kids about their sexual practices. This is off the rails. The parents, in many cases, weren't even aware of the fact that this was happening. So how you can give that a pass, I'm really not sure, right? Um, the Mormon church, as I've said before, and I'll say this to, just to answer this question, then we can move on. I look at the Mormon church as something that was, that used to be, a more destructive cult than it is now. It's, la it's, it's gotten lax on and changed a lot of its policies over the years to become more mainstream and more accepting. For example, and the biggest one I can think of that, that is just demonstrates the point was the fact that up until the 1970s, uh, they thought that uh, being black, being a, a, you know, a, a Amer African American, uh, or African period, any African descent, rather I should say, um, was a mark of Cain, right? This was, this, I'm not making this up. This is what Mormons have told me, right? Is that this is how this was considered. And that black people were not able to be Mormons or gain high standing in the Mormon church because of this. This is just outright racism. And it was written into the policies of the Mormon church by its founders and its, and its prophets. So then they had a revelation in the 70s and decided to change this uh, centuries, you know, or a century-old law about, you know, uh, the point of dogma, I should say, not really a law, it was more of a point of dogma, um, about black people, right? And now, now, in the modern Mormon church, there's no stigma connected with being a black person, and yet there used to be. So, what other stigmas exist now in the Mormon church that, you know, maybe you're not looking as critically at as you maybe should be? Those are the things that we have a problem with. Um, and those are the things that we are speaking out about, right? We're being very specific about our disagreements and problems with Mormonism. It is not down with Mormonism, let's go burn all the churches and, and destroy the temple and, and uh, you know, nuke Utah from orbit. <laughs> it's the only way to be safe, right? That's not, that's not what we are uh, preaching here on this channel or what Jonathan Streeter and I talk about, right? We talk about specific abuses that go on in the church that need to be dealt with. And they are, in many ways, comparable with abuses that happen in Scientology. So, is Mormonism as bad as Scientology? That's kind of up to each individual to decide based on their own values and morals. Uh, I don't particularly think that they are. But I think that there are things going on in the Mormon church that are absolutely unacceptable behavior. And I think those things need to be called out for what they are. And I think that they can be corrected. And that's my take on it overall.
It is time for Flash Answers. Robert Roberts, when you were in the Sea Org, did you resent having to give your $50 paycheck to David Miscavige for his Christmas present? Did you ever ask, since Christmas is a between-lives alien implanted engram, why are you still forced to buy your dear leader a Christmas present? I hated it every single year. Hated it. Birthdays, Christmas, senior executives, not just Miscavige, but other local and, uh, and international executives' birthdays that we had to give to. I tried to hide from it. I tried to keep my money to myself. Sometimes I just flat out said, Ugh, no, or I'll come back and give it to you, right? <laughs> um, but no, I did not ever enjoy doing that, and I never ever once ever thought to say that the reason I'm not going to do that is because Christmas is invalid because it's based on an implant. Uh, that kind of thinking just doesn't really occur to Scientologists. Mr. Marathon 1989, will the new Scientology TV station ever air anything? You got me, man. It's been over a year and nothing's come out of that place. I've conjectured about it. We'll see. Uh, probably. Probably at some point. Maybe in this new year. But I ain't holding my breath. Julie Branscombe. I have heard a lot about how much money Sea Org workers make, but was curious about what the average pay is for people on staff at regular orgs or missions. Does it vary according to their post or what type of contract they sign? And also, do they get regular raises or rewards with higher pay if they have been in for a long time, or is it always just dependent mostly on the stats they report every week? Short answer, Julie, is that there is no average. It definitely depends on the amount of income that's been made by the organization that week, whether it's an org or a mission. Uh, there's a point system that is awarded to, that is uh, for every post. So higher executive posts have more points connected with that post than lower positions on the, on the org board. Uh, so a janitor or an auditor or a supervisor isn't going to be making as many units as the ED or the executive, you know, the executive director or the deputy executive director. Uh, and it is totally proportioned based on that. There are bonuses that are, that are awarded for training and experience, not longevity, I don't think, but for training that the person has, whether it's executive training or technical training. And, um, and really all that adds up to is whether you're making, you know, 20 bucks a week or 10 bucks a week, because really staff members are really not making that much. Even in the most successful organizations in the world right now, making the most amount of money, I'm hearing that they are, that the staff are taking home, you know, big paychecks of three or 400 bucks. So, you know, it's, it, it's pennies for the amount of work that these guys are doing. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the amount of money that uh, a regular person could make in a day. And these guys are, are slaving it out for a lot more hours than a day's worth of work uh, for you know weeks on end and making very, very little. So that's the unfortunate truth. Okay, everybody, so that is the end of this week's show. Let's bring in 2018 with a rip and a roar. And uh, thank you very much for coming around and being part of my show and being part of my audience. I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.